Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Miracle Soup. I am your host, Christoph Heinen, broadcasting from the mystical foothills of Northern California. Today's guest is Kelly Sammy, who in 2008 took her own life and had a profound near-death experience. She returned from the afterlife with potent messages, potent healing story to share with all of us who are willing to listen. So this interview is definitely one of my favorite interviews on the show so far. I felt a um, real presence as, as we were talking, a real energetic quality and energetic presence. Um, as she told her story and as she spoke, I felt that I was right with her in these places. I, I hope that you get as much out of this story as I did and Please feel free to share this with anyone who you think might benefit. Um, I think it has a really powerful message and a lot of potential to help people in this time. So without further ado, Kelly Sammy, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, Kelly, can you hear me now? I hear you. Nice okay. to connect. Awesome. Thanks so much. Um, I just wanted to say that ever since I watched your video on YouTube on the NDE channel, I just every single day I've been thinking about that message, breathe and don't resist. And I've even shared that with a few friends and they're like, oh my God, I, I need to watch that video. And there's just, there's really something magic about that, about that, about, well, about your story in general, but about that video in particular. And I'm just wondering, have you gotten a lot of like feedback from that? I have a lot of people been saying the same thing. Yeah, so first off, thank you for inviting me on to talk about this because I know when that video came out on a lot of the comments were asking that, you know, to explain that, you know, what, what came through in my near-death experience with the angels, you know, reminding me of that. Um, and so, yes, a lot of people want to understand what that means, what it meant after my near-death experience and what it translates to, you know, now what, 14 years later. So, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I remember I, I was, you know, I've been doing a lot of breath work and researching breath work and practicing a lot of breath work because I got this, this guidance to start doing it about a month and a half ago. And then so I think the algorithm on YouTube like saw the, the title of your video which is breathe and don't resist and then I was just like I remember listening to that and just feeling my whole nervous system just like just like clunk, just like taking off a, a backpack full of heavy books oh, I just I felt like that. oh love my god I can just like every day is just so much easier just like oh just that's really all that's required is breathe but before I guess I, I get too carried away um, gosh, it, does it get boring for you to tell the story? Because that's really the only place I can think to start before I ask you all these questions I want to ask you is, is that okay if you just tell your story again? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I don't mind telling it. I'll, I'll try and give you an abbreviated version so it doesn't last, you know, too, too long. But um, okay. in 2008, I um, committed suicide. And this was after years and years and years of um, really feeling like life was happening to me is the only oh. way I can explain it. I kind of, um, I called myself a victim and I lived my life in a victim mentality. And when I say that outwardly, no one knew that was going on for me. That was an internal experience of anything that happened. I put a smile on and seemed like I was doing great, but inside I just felt like, you know, everything was happening to me. And that built up over years of um, constantly thinking I could, you know, if life got too heavy, I could just end it all. And that basically um, led up to going through a really tumultuous divorce right after I had had my, my son um, and really just delving really deep into depression after my son and I picked up after that divorce and moved all the way um, from the United States to New Zealand. Um, ironically, my ex-husband was from New Zealand and when we went through the divorce, um, we switched countries. He came to the US and I, I went to New Zealand with my um, son because he, he knew that that would be a good place for me to raise a child on my own. So fast forward, um, I'm in New Zealand for several years, um, still going through depression of uh, the end of the divorce um, and lots of health issues and just one thing after another, um, again, perceiving all of this in my victimhood story, I finally realized this wasn't a healthy way of thinking and took myself to see counseling there. Um, lo and behold, uh, they put me on medications right away um, with very minimal conversation about history or anything like that. It wasn't psychotherapy. It was truly just, here's a prescription and go. And those medications, um, were very, very hard on my body. I'm super sensitive to, to anything altering. And as I continued to take them, I, I noticed I was getting more and more anxious, more and more depressed and um, suicidal. So I continued to see the, the doctor and explain this and they just continued to up the meds and send me on my very way, even though I was telling them I was now um, thinking of ways to commit suicide. It didn't seem to grab their attention, um, but it definitely got a hold of mine. And at this stage, I was now um, about four years into living in New Zealand. I had a new partner um, and he had children and we had created a blended family. Um, and even in all of this, an outward appearance of seeming fine, um, every night ended with me loving my family off to bed and taking myself into the shower and sitting on the shower floor, running hot water and crying my eyes out to get it all out before I went to bed. No one knew this, you know, I, I was that depressed person who put on my brave face and my smile and went about my day and my business. I definitely wasn't the person um, that laid in bed and cried. So it was very shelled and hidden, um, even though I was experiencing it. So that that carried forward with the medications then impacting it in deeper ways. And I can't put my finger on any one particular thing. I can name a hundred little things that led up to um, 
one day saying to my friend on the phone, that was the last straw and realizing in my head, I then was ready to, to, to carry this act out because I felt at the stage, I would serve those that loved me much better not being here. And I want to preface how important that is because those of us who are suicidal and truly intending to harm ourselves um, and are not after attention or hoping to get help, um, we really truly do believe that by leaving the body, we're going to do others um, a favor. And that was the approach that was going on here was um, they'll be better off. They don't need this. Um, so. I had saved a ton of medication over the years, pain meds that I had from various things that we had in the house. And there was just a pill bottle full of, you know, those things at this stage. I didn't know what was in there. It was a mix of so many things, all of them pharmaceuticals that were prescribed, um, including some of the antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds, sleeping pills, et cetera, all in one, one bottle. So I had decided that I was going to take that bottle and get some pre-mixed alcohol and, and take myself and, and carry out the act of suicide. Um, I didn't know when yet, but I just knew that was the last straw. The planning began. I woke up one day and it was a beautiful day. Um, our house sat right on the bluff um, of a beach. And I thought, gosh, and this is, this will tell you how the mind works. I thought, gosh, if I get up and um, encourage us to take some beautiful family photos, at least they'll have those to look back on. And I know that's such a demented state of thinking, but that's how diseased the mind can become mm. that somebody would, you know, cherish those types of photos is just ridiculous to me. And when I look at the photos, even today, it just gives, gives me chills to think of that going through um, the mind. So into the yard, we all went, we did the photos and uh, my partner at the time um, thought that I had a medical appointment off the island. So there was no, you know, strangeness for me to grab a bag full of my items. And um, we lived on an island that was so remote that we had to take a car ferry to and from the main town of Auckland, New Zealand. So again, it wasn't abnormal for me to pack a few things and say my farewells and, and head out. Um, and that's what I did. Um, again, so demented in my thinking, I packed my favorite pillow, my favorite blanket, um, a stuffed animal that um, had been in my son's room that wasn't one of his favorites, and just a few other items, the pills, the pre-mixed alcohol, which was gin and tonic, which I'm not a drinking drinking person, so I don't know why I chose those, but I did. Oh, gross. Oh. I know. I don't even like oh, the flavor God. of gin. I know. Okay. <laughs> So off I go in my SUV, um, this little remote island that we lived on in New Zealand um, is very small. And as I said, the only access point, um, if you don't live on the island, is a, is a car ferry. So. Sorry, your, uh, your video just started playing on my computer. There we go. Sorry about that's that. That's so on. crazy. What a, <laughs> what a cool effect in the background. I know, it's trippy. <laughs> It was trippy hearing my own voice in the background. So, so off I go in my SUV. 
um, with the mentality of um, this being the best thing for everyone. I decided to just drive around um, until I found a remote area that overlooks a beautiful beach, which isn't hard to find on a small island. They're everywhere. And so off I went and up a hill and onto a bluff that was a lot that was uh, being constructed on, um, but the construction hadn't began. The permit permit flags and everything were around the property and so it had been cleared a bit and it just looked like the perfect location where I wouldn't be um, wouldn't be in anyone's way so in my SUV I sat and started to slowly um, take the medication and drink the alcohol and write suicide notes the the big heavier notes I had already written so it was really just some of the shorter notes that I needed to do um, and I slowly ingested the pills and the alcohol and not being a drinker, even the alcohol enough was enough to make me subdued and start to feel it take effect. The last suicide note that I um, felt compelled to write was to the person that was gonna discover my body because I felt strangely connected to not having anyone have to have that experience, if you will. I just, couldn't fathom anyone having to do that for a career and I just felt horrible about it so that was the last note that I wrote and I laid all the notes on the dashboard that one being the top one and I realized oh boy this is really set in now I could really feel my body reacting to the the pills and medication and I want to say it was probably about an hour an hour and a half that I had been sitting there slowly ingesting I never felt nausea. I never felt like I was going to get sick or anything like that. So I decided to just get up and um, make a little um, restroom trip before I climbed into the back of the SUV. And as I opened the door and began to step out, I realized the legs were just noodles. There was just no ability for me to do that. So I was like, we're beyond that. So I closed the door. I threw the pillow and the blanket in the back seat with the stuffed animal and climbed into the back and I got comfortable. And I just remember laying there and staring at the ceiling or roof of my SUV and just saying over and over again, I believe that God is a forgiving God. And even though I was raised Catholic and I was terrified of this being the ultimate sin, I just kept saying, I know that this is a merciful God. I know that I know that I'm going to be supported in this, even though everything I've been taught says otherwise. And then I just kept thinking, how will I know when I'm dead? You know, it was never something I'd ever thought about before, right? Yeah. So I was already feeling the alcohol in the, in the medication. So I was like, well, how am I going to know I'm dead? I already feel different. So I just said, I guess when the breath stops, so I then started focusing on the breath and I kept saying, are you still breathing? And the breath was there. So I didn't realize this at the time that that was a form of meditation, even though an odd one, um, you know, that was what was keeping me out of overthinking my family, what I was doing or any of those concepts, which just didn't appear to be in my focus at all because I was so determined. And somewhere in this realm of the, the breathing, something started to change. And I just kept thinking, are you still breathing? The breath was there, are you still breathing? 
the breath was still there. And all of a sudden there was this um, sensation of vibration. Like my whole body felt like it was vibrating and I was hearing these crackling and popping sounds, but they weren't outside of me, nor were they in my ears. Um, the best way to describe it was I was the sound. I wasn't hearing it. I was becoming it. So cracking, popping, vibration, and am I still breathing was happening still was the question. And then all of a sudden, the sensation of being pulled upward and intense, intense uh, pressure, crackling, popping, pressure, vibration, and this like immediate thrust, if you will, um, and all of a sudden, all I could notice was I was seeing myself laying in the car and it was like the top of the SUV just wasn't there anymore. And then there was this realization that I wasn't a body either. I wasn't the thing down there. I wasn't the thing up here. I was just this awareness taking it all in. Um, there was no grief. There was no suffering. There was no feeling I wasn't experiencing what that body appeared to be doing which seemed to be really wiggling and um, uncomfortable and moving about in pain but I wasn't experiencing any of that at all nor was I I got to get back in there or oh my gosh what have I done like all of those kinds of things that I now in hindsight think gosh why wasn't I thinking any of that just wasn't even present there was just a calmness so as I was taking all this in, there was also this normalcy about it, almost like I'd done it before, I knew it, or I was acquainted with it. There was no, oh my gosh, there's no body, there's no thing. None of that was happening. So I don't know, again, I'll, I'll say this often, time isn't a real thing. So I don't know how long this lasted, and space is also not real. And that awareness was knowing this. So again, I don't know how long I seem to hover or be present in this experience of witnessing this body thing do what it was doing. But um, there was also no desire to go anywhere or try to seek anything. Um, and so with all of that, there just, again, began this sensation of pulling, um, crackling, popping, vibration, and this upward pulling sensation. Um, and it felt as though this energy of what I had become, um, which I call awareness, just seemed to zip up into this expansion of allness, uh, which became this blackness um, or abyss. There was nothing. I wasn't a thing, there was no thing there. Um, there was no fear of it. It was just this absolute sensation of love, like nothing I've ever felt. Mm. Um, I guess sitting in the hand of God is the only thing I can acquaint it to when I look back or nestled in the mother's womb and just full absence of fear, full absence of thought full absence of needing anything to be other than that. And again, I don't 
have any descriptors of time or space to know how long I was, I was there. Um, and there was, again, no desire to go anywhere and no desire to try and go back. How, how long would you say, like, can you even, can you even put any kind of time, like years, days, anything like that? Or is it just, you can't even, you can't even match it up with a linear I, time? Yeah, I can't match it up with a linear time. And the same thing happens now when I go into a deep meditated state, I come out of it and think it was moments and I look at the clock and, oh my gosh, where did that four hours go? Right, right. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I just know that when, you know, I'll talk about this towards the end when they, when they discovered me, but, um, you know, it appears that there was about an 18 minute span where um, they were you know, doing some work and trying to get me in the helicopter and all of that. So that's all I know. But prior to that, and we'll talk a little bit about how that how we get to that point. But, you know, that's the only thing I know is that 18 minutes. So I, and obviously, they didn't find me immediately after this. So who knows how long I was in the abyss, but I just felt so nurtured and so protected and so safe that again, I would have happily remained there but um the sensation began again of cracking and popping and um an upward pull but no body and as this was happening what i was noticing was more of what i call an expansion almost like i had been inside of a, a an albacore tuna um, or sardine can and somebody rolled the top open and i could just stretch the arms and the legs and everything and yet there was no body um, it was just an energy of expansion doing itself unfolding or unraveling into this beauty um, and cracking and popping and again not outside of myself i was it i was the blackness i was all of it so that upward pull sensation happening and then all of a sudden whoosh, thrust into what I call this beautiful place of the most intensely gorgeous pink hue, baby pink is the only thing I can refer it to, that really subtle, powerful pink that just, I cannot recreate here, no matter how much I've tried <laughs> watercolors and trust me, I've tried um, sensations and smells of, um, floral the only thing i can come close to is like gardenias those really powerful smells um and again they weren't happening outside of me i was them and these auditory um, sounds of music um i call it angelic music um that again wasn't outside of me i was just thrust into this pinkness no body no anyone and I was all of these things. I was all of the sensations, the smells, the sounds, um, all of it was happening. Very intense um, beauty that, again, the, the sensation of love was unfathomable. And the closest thing I compare it to is uh, the moment my son was born and we locked eyes. And it was mm. that times a million. Mm. Um, I. I felt so at peace. There were no questions. There were no thoughts. There was no thinker. And yet 
telepathically, it seems that I was connected with all of this. And just by the awareness of the music that got louder, the awareness of the smell that got more intense. And there was this knowingness that I was being called. And this was the first experience of actually seeing something visibly um, that I wasn't. And it was what I knew without knowing why I knew um, Archangel Gabriel. Now, I did grow up Catholic. I will say that in full transparency. I grew up with the interest of angels and archangels, um, aberrations of Mary. Those were the things that kept me engaged in the Catholic Church because the rest of it just felt too icky to me. And so I went towards the magical stuff, you know, um, Jesus and Mary and Joseph and um, aberrations of, of Mary and uh, Medjugorje and Padre Pio. These were all things that appealed to me. And so, you know, it makes sense to me that I would have some kind of an experience with, um, you know, with an angel or angels. Um, and so I just felt at peace with that. I, there was no questioning of it. And there was just this knowing that I was to go and there was uh, a gesture um, from that, which I was noticing visibly um, to follow. And following just was, again, uh, the awareness of being called and I was the following. I know that's hard to wrap your head around to, to, to be a color or to be a sound or to be a movement, but that's what it was. So as this knowingness to follow um, resumed itself, um, it appeared that we were in this space that I refer to as a, a tomb, um, for lack of better words. And again, it was physically visible, um, but I wasn't a body. I was just an awareness in it. And in this tomb, it was the only time I felt what I can even relate that felt like a human emotion, which was almost some an unworthiness or an inadequacy to be there. But as soon as that humanness um, aspect seemed to present itself, as quickly as it popped in, um, the love just intensified to eradicate it. And it was gone. And there was this viewing of my entire 38 years coming all around me um, you know I don't think of it as a life review but everyone that I talk to says well that was a life review and so call it what you will I think of it as a celebration of every moment every aspect of what that 38 years looked like it wasn't a condemnation it wasn't a these are the places and areas of life that you could have done better these are the ones that were absolute sinful these are the ones you need to have uh, make repentance for. These are the ones that we congratulate you on. It wasn't any of that. It was just like I was being celebrated every moment of it. And every moment of it was flashing. And this awareness was able to take all 38 years and in what I would say felt like seconds. And every bit of it was celebrated. It was just almost like a, yes, you did that. Oh my gosh, look at you do that. That was magnificent. And there was no, no punishment about it. 
And as that continued, um, there was just this beauty in being held in all of it. And again, there was no desire to go back to the body or regret, yet there was almost like this awareness that I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be staying wherever I was. And I wasn't inquiring where I was. I was just completely, again, that there was no thoughts going on other than what I've pointed to here that felt even remotely human. And there was just this awareness that this was, this was not where I was going to get to stay. And so in that, I just continued with the celebrations and some of them were painful um, experiences that I would have as a human said, why would I ever want to celebrate that? And, um, you know, one that I openly share is that I was molested by my um, maternal grandfather when I was three and he had already transitioned long before this had happened. Um, and all of a sudden, these aspects or humans that I had had some of these engagements with weren't just appearing um, for me to, to see on, you know, this review, they were appearing to engage. Um, and he was one of those. Interestingly, or ironically enough, there was no resistance to his energy, even though he was showing up as a physicality that would have you know, literally caused me to, to be ill. Um, had I been back in the physical body, there was just a welcoming of his energy and just a almost, you know, high five moment. Like we did that together. And, um, you know, I know that sounds crazy, but it was like a celebration of the experience was to know more love by knowing its opposite, to know this duality, this dualistic experience we now have. Again, this being hindsight, um, in the moment, none of that was translating for me. The interpret- yeah, it's, it's like on, on that level where you're, where you're on a soul level. Yes. It's like, okay, high five. That lesson was, was learned and accomplished and it was, it was dark and tough, but right on, we, we got through it. Like we did it together. Like, wow, what a, what a, what a shift in perspective huh? on everything that happens here on planet earth. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's such a powerful thing. And so many people who watch my story, almost, especially if they've had a similar experience say, how could you do that? That's awful. And I say, well, that's the human mind that has a concept of right and wrong and sin and, and, and betrayal and all of those human concepts but in this experience none of that was present at all it was just love unconditional love saying look what we did as an energy wow wow that continued for a while and i had quite a few of those with both what i would call good and bad aspects of this experience i could go on for days for how many of those happened i won't but i will you know, that one is a highlight for me because I think many relate to having very traumatic experiences. And yet people hear my story and they'll comment, well, you were obviously, you obviously had a very easy life before this. You know, they, they obviously didn't listen to my whole story because my 38 years was nothing but easy leading up to this. Um, and so the ability to see all of that translate into what I call transmutation back into truth, which is unconditional love, 
nothing else can be present. So what is there to be feared of? There's no harm happening to me in this moment. And anything that thinks back to that moment of three says, can I be sure it ever really happened to this physical body? Was it just part of a play? So again, those are the hindsight moments that come now. But in that moment, there was just no resistance to what was arising or who was coming through. So, so if you don't mind, so just to clarify that. So when you, when you think about it, like now as a human and you ask yourself how, you know, in the present moment, you know, I'm safe and I'm in, a, in my body. And then how can I know that that happened to my body when I was three? So are, are you kind of saying like our, our past memories are just sort of just imaginary, just sort of like things going on in our, in our mind or, or am, I, or am I missing it? Because I, I keep no. coming across a literature, you know, and people are saying this, like the Course of Miracles says it a lot, like, you know, the, the past is an illusion, right? It didn't really yes. happen. Or, or, and I, I can't grasp that, uh, Kelly, with like my, my logical mind. I mean, I get it sort of like on a vibrational level, but I, can you just uh, elucidate yeah. that a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. So time and space in this exiting of the body was so clear to me that that was an illusion as is everything that's dualistic. So if anything has a counterpart, which everything does in this human realm, it's not truth. And that's what I was able to experience was there was no duality. I was all of it. I was the pure expansion we call God or source or universe. I was all of it. So to think that that which is happening or happened is even part of this now, I can't relate to it because it's a past story that's just a thought mm. and it's not happening in this now moment. So as the awareness expanded through this experience now, you, you actually articulated it beautifully. I think like you, previous to this, there was something within me that always kind of knew that or it's settled in my heart a little more calmly than thinking, wow, this is, this is so real. Um, but now I call it an experiential knowingness because the deepening happened when I wasn't in the vessel. There was just this awareness that time and space are complete concepts. So if there is no time and space, then everything that seemed to have happened to that now what I refer to as avatar never truly happened. And the only thing I can know is this moment. I pinch myself and I say, ow, but as soon as I say, ow, it's done. Did it ever happen? I can't know. Only the right, so. Yeah. yeah so, so, so like the, the, the past memory is just, is just imagination, just as much as everything in this so-called three-dimensional world of form is an illusion as well. Yes. Because it's, it's just, it's like dreamed up. And from that soul perspective, it's like, I imagine it's extremely obvious. <laughs> You're like, well, that's a dream. Yes. And right? it makes all of this so much lighter and mm. humorous. I laugh at myself all the time. Mm. Um, and the other thing that it does is it opens the heart in a way that I could never have fathomed in my victimhood. And it allows absolute transparency in this moment. 
um, not only for myself, but the level of intimacy I'm able to gift to others in relationship is something I could have never fathomed in victimhood because there's no veil anymore that says they're behaving correctly or incorrectly. There's just, oh my gosh, look at the unconditional love right here. Look at this God in front of me, even if they seem to be harming me. So that is the experience. Um, now, as I'm, you know, in this life review, if you will, and engaging with these experiences in, in ways I never could have um, fathomed, um, I heard a voice that felt familiar, but didn't at the same time. And I couldn't quite grasp what it was. And again, these, these energies were showing up to me in, in a physical form, even though I wasn't in a physical form. And I saw this energy of this beautiful young man walking towards me and speaking. And I noticed he was saying, mom. And then it clicked. Oh my gosh, that's my son. Now I'm horrible at math. It's so, so funny because I was trying to figure out how old Declan really was when all this happened. Um, but it was 14 years ago. He's 21 now. So do the math. He was coming to me at 21. And he was a beautiful, glowing man standing in front of me that I just was in awe over because obviously earlier that day, he was a little boy when I left him and said my farewells and thought I'm leaving you because you deserve more than this. So I'm hearing mom, this, this, this man is walking towards me saying mom, and the gist of it was, mom, I need you to come back. I need you. I need you here. I need you to grow up with me. I need, I need you. There was no sadness or regret in that. There was just a knowing, okay, that's what is happening here. Um, it's interesting though, because I, I say that there was no resistance to returning, but, and I'll talk a little bit about this in a minute, but returning to the body, I, I have since continued to get downloads of what happened in that time. And one of the downloads that I got was there was resistance actually. And there was a, um, a bit of not wanting to return to the vessel um, as the transition was happening, but I have no recollection of that. Um, it's a hindsight awareness that was brought to me back in the body. Did so your son, did, did your son uh, look like he does now? No. Oh, and now at 21. Yes. Yes. Really? Wow. It, oh my gosh. It's crazy to me because down to the, the, the chin hairs that he now has at 21, um, and still the baby face, you know, I could have never known what he was going to look like, but I literally saw him grown up at 21 years old and he just turned 21 on July 18th. Mm, powerful. Yeah. So I knew that I needed to go back. I knew that he was 21, even though that was never, you know, spoken. I knew that he was saying, mom, come back. And as I was aware of this, the movement began again. Declan was no longer there. The energy of telepathically being um, called again by um, 
the angels was happening at this stage. It was a, what I would refer to as a legion of angels um, guiding me, even though I wasn't seeing their presence. I knew that they were around me, guiding me or um, taking me um, back to wherever I was to go. And at, I wasn't asking or I wasn't conscious of asking them, you know, what tools do I take back or what are you expecting of me when I return? None of that was going on. I now know it's because it was all telepathically um, in, inserted into this avatar as a computer chip saying you'll get the downloads when you need them. And that's what's continued to happen. So as they were guiding me, um, the last thing that, that I remember being, um, being told was your only role on earth is to breathe and not resist. The rest will be taken care of. And I had no idea at all how powerful that was as you're finding yourself. So then the popping and the crackling began again and the sensation of vibration I was all of that. There was no resistance to it that I was aware of. <laughs> and a sensation of being pulled, 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 pulled back out of the pink and into that abyss, more vibration, more sensation, more pulling in the body. And the body was now being worked on, no awareness of how any of that had happened, lo and behold, where I had actually pulled the SUV, as I mentioned, was on a lot that had been cleared for home building. And apparently there were contractors and things that were moving about those areas that discovered the car, didn't see anyone, grew concerned, yada, yada, yada. Next thing you know, EMTs and whatnot are called. They're working on me. And because we were on this remote island, um, the only way to get me to the hospital in a quick way was to have me helicoptered. So the ambulance took me to the, to the helipad and I am literally in euphoria, just bliss. I've just committed suicide and all I wanna do is tell them how beautiful life is. And I of course had zero awareness of the fact that I'm flailing my arms about and looking like a crazy person, trying to talk to all these people who are trying to work on me. And they you know, knew I had taken medication. It was obvious I had gotten sick on the pillow, but they had noticed that it was just the capsules. There was, I, had, I had ingested all of the medication, so it was too late to pump my stomach. They were very concerned about my liver. Obviously they were on a time pattern to get me to the hospital and I'm just wanting to tell them how beautiful life is. I'm grasping at them and pulling. And so at this point, they're all just trying to hold me down. And I'd never been in a helicopter before. And you know, the whole experience was surreal. Um, they're putting the oxygen mask over my mouth and et cetera. So very quick helicopter ride, because it's not far, it's just remote um, by water. So they get me to the to the um, to the hospital. I'm taken to the emergency room and 
there are multiple experiences that happen. I won't cover all of them because obviously I'm being considerate of time here, but it's all outlined in the, in the full um, near-death experience video that you mentioned. I had several um, what I call experiences with angels in the hospital, but the biggest thing I think to tell people is, is I was lay, laying in the ER on the gurney and they had the, the curtains open and they were keeping obviously me on watch because I had committed suicide. Um, and I had nurses and doctors coming in and out, checking my vitals. They'd run the blood panels. We were waiting to hear how my, my labs came, et cetera. And the hospital was overpopulated. So they didn't have anywhere to take me anywhere. Anyway, um, I'm laying there and I'm noticing that anything that I looked at and I felt weird is the only way I can describe it. My whole body felt like it was still vibrating. I thought it was the medication. I thought I had damaged my brain at this point, but I was so happy and so euphoric and um, I'm starting to get shaky. Part of the detox probably happening because they've got me on IVs to push out you know, everything that was in my system. And so I just decided to try and relax a little bit. And so I laid back and I'm staring up at the ceiling and I'm noticing that anything that I looked at was becoming just a swirling vibration. And if I looked at it too long, I became it. This went on for weeks, by the way. Anything I paid any attention to, I just became absorbed by it. I became it. And I could see the body laying on the gurney, but I wasn't in it anymore. And I, I was like this for weeks literally tethered to my body, but in my soul, literally floating outside of it is the only way I can explain it. Yet I seem to be learning how to navigate getting back into it just by thinking, Ooh, I'm, I'm out here. And then boom, I'd be back in there. And I felt really contained. Like I had been pushed and shoved back into that can and that the lid had been, you know, rolled back, but there was a little sliver where I could slip in and out. And that just seemed to stay open for a while. So as I mentioned, several experiences like this happen, but the one that I think is the most impactful was the first one where I'm laying in that room and I hear all this commotion outside of the nurse's station and I could see all of it, but I couldn't hear everything other than I could see the faces. They were very angry and reactive. And there was a woman in a wheelchair and her, it looked like her partner was wheeling her up to the nurse's station and was really upset and angry. And the nurse and him were seeming to be really going at it. And she was like literally looking as though she was high or drunk or something wasn't right with her. And she's kind of slithered over to the side in the, in the wheelchair and, um, she just didn't look like she was doing well and she was gray. And so at one point um, I looked away and then I looked back and she was up and out of the wheelchair and she was walking, you know, somewhat normal, but staggering a little bit, but certainly not in a position to be able to do the walking she was doing. And the movement was happening and all of a sudden, boom, she's on my gurney, literally at my face she gets as calm as can be, lifts her head up as natural and calm as can be. And she looks directly into my eyes and she says, I see you. Whoa. I didn't know what that meant, but I felt it 
is the only way I can explain it. I felt it and I knew that it was the angel sending me that message. So I started to breathe and not resist. And so, I, so, so that message was like the angels coming through and just giving you a confirmation that they're there. They're there and I'm part of that and don't forget it. And we can uh, connect with you in any way, in any vessel, in any experience. It could be this girl who seems to be out of her mind. It can be that butterfly. Anything you notice is us. We are it. Yeah. Yeah. I still <laughs> get chills and I get teary when I tell that. Yeah. It's just all around all the time. <laughs> around all the time. And the knowingness, you know, even with my dog Milo now, we, it's like he looks at me sometimes when I get too busy in life and he'll stare at me like, are you here? Mm. And if I'm ignoring him or whatever, he just stares at me like he knows I can hear him. And then I'll sit down and I'll say, okay, okay, I'm here now. And that's what I say all the time. I'm here now. Hmm. That's a good mantra, actually. It, I'm here it now. Is. I've got it as my, I've got it on as my actual screen saver on my iPhone. So it, as soon as before I unclick it, it says, I'm here now, God. Wow. It's like roll call in elementary school. Are you here? I'm here. And as soon as we do that and breathe and don't resist, the connection just does itself. It's on auto drive, but we don't tap into it enough. So that experience was profound. And then getting out of the hospital, crazily enough, you know, I, I was admitted for one night. I go into much more detail about that in the full interview, but um, the doctors kept asking me what I thought was the most hysterical question to this day. Granted, it was 14 years ago in New Zealand, so hopefully it's all changed by now, but to be able to discharge me to jump on a ferry, a boat ferry, if you will, where I could easily jump off the back of the boat if I was still suicidal, um, and my partners, by the way, home with the children, and I, we had an agreement after he had spoken with all the doctors that the, he needed to stay there with the kids. I was okay, and they weren't going to let him see me anyway, because where I was taken was a unit he wouldn't have been allowed in. It was late at night when they finally put me in a room, et cetera. So the next day, they reached out to him and said, look, you know, we've, we've, we've scanned her. Her liver's fine. We don't understand why. Her blood panel is coming back clean. We don't understand that. We saw that she had gotten sick. We don't know if she really took the medication. We can't understand any of this. They couldn't understand any of it. Um, the urine that I had given to them to test smelled like flowers. Just so many strange things they couldn't. I, I think they just wanted me out of the hospital. They couldn't understand any of it and I couldn't either. Um, and I just wanted to get home and I was euphoric and I just wanted to dance through the aisles and tell everybody how beautiful life is. But they put me in clothes from Goodwill because they had cut all my clothes off. So I looked just ridiculous and didn't care. I had two different flip flops on and it was just crazy. They just went and grabbed whatever they could. And the doctor said my checkout release interview was are you seeing or hearing anything that you shouldn't be? Which I just think it's hysterical. <laughs> and 
this was the first moment I had to really trust this. You know, I was having the zip out of my body experiences. I had the ICU experiences, which I still hadn't fully comprehended. But now they're asking me this question. And lo and behold, as they're asking me, sitting on the end of, you know, the bed or the gurney, I'm seeing for the first time this physical being I now refer to as my birth guide, Bernadette. And she's as real as I am to anyone else right now. Um, I felt like I could have touched her. And yet I was aware that no one else was seeing her or hearing her. And it was the first time I had to really trust this because she said to me, don't tell them they'll lock you up. You have to trust this breathe and don't resist. So I did. I said, no, everything's fine. I'm good. I'm, I'm, you know, I've really had a reset in the way I'm thinking. And I just want to get home to my family. I love them. And I just want to get home and make amends for hurting them this way. So off they sent me and they gave me the ferry pass, a, um, a cab voucher and clothing from Goodwill. And on my way, I went. <sighs> returned home and you know I returned back to the life that I had committed suicide all the problems and all the things that I once thought were happening to me um all of that was still there but I was not that person I didn't have the same perception or ideas about any of it and how how was that different did you were you aware that you were creating them or that it wasn't happening to you because you weren't really that you who you who you had believed you were before or or like yeah how do you come back from something like that i mean i can't even imagine this like total ego destruction and coming back as an angelic sort of realized being in a way yeah well it's interesting because obviously my partner knew what i had done and he was um very concerned about who i was going to return as right and we had talked on the phone obviously but he also was concerned because i didn't seem concerned about what i had just done i seemed more concerned about <laughs> telling him how happy i was and so right. he was concerned and his sister is actually a counselor back in the states so he was calling her and saying if everything she was saying didn't make so much dang sense i think she'd hurt her brain but she came home and we put posters on the wall and post-its and she was writing everything she was getting down and all the engagements and things that were happening. And we had watched the movie, The Secret one night after this experience. And I, I got on the wall and just started writing why that movie didn't make sense and where they messed up on writing it and why the law of attraction in there was very poorly displayed and you know the whole thing was just coming out and you know he's like talking to his sister who's a counselor in the other room and I can hear it you know if she wasn't making so much dang sense I'd be worried but you know everything she says makes sense and I can find a scientific backing for most of it and I'm not seeing you know her dead uncle but she sings in our kitchen now in his pajamas singing but holy heck everything else lines up for me here so he was trusting it as much as i was now all that being said i wasn't the same person so i'm sitting in this house in the same experience with the same partner and the same problems and i'm no longer able to relate to any of it i had shifted so much that i just knew this wasn't 
going to be the life anymore. Um, so fast forward, here we are 14 years later, I'm no longer in that partnership. I've returned to the United States. My son and I moved of all places to Washington state because it felt closest to New Zealand for me climate wise. And my then partner's sister, who was the counselor he was talking to lived here where we came. And she said, come stay with my family and you can you know, look for work and everything and we'll help get you back on your feet. Um, while you're getting reestablished, um, because my partner was, you know, enmeshed with his family in New Zealand, he stayed. So my son and I returned to the to the United States. We stayed with her for probably about a month. I I got a job. I got a car. I got an apartment, and off we went and resumed life. But I wasn't the same person. Even my sister to this day says you don't talk the same. You don't use the same language. My tastes. Um, my choices, none of it's the same. Wow, so, it's, it, it's really reminds me of like a, like a Byron Katie kind of experience or like a Eckhart Tolle, just like a total, it's like a total transformation. Absolutely. And it's ironic that you mentioned Byron Katie, because after this happened for weeks on that little island, I just wanted, I wanted some understanding of what had happened to me, because again, you know, the linear mind's now trying to translate what was so unlinear. And I'm being reminded to remember by breathing and not resisting that the packets of information will come to me when I need them. So I just went to the library on this little island we lived on and the library there is the size of a 7-Eleven, if you will. Very, very tiny because it's a little tiny island. And I walk in and I said, where's your spiritual section? I just wanted something that helped validate what had happened to me. So they pointed over to the shelves and I went over there and the only books on the shelf were minimal for the spiritual piece. And they were the Eckhart Tolle's and the Byron Katie's. And so I grabbed Byron Katie's book, Loving What Is, and um, another book that was on um, uh, shamanism, I think. And I can't remember what the third one was, but I grabbed the three I was allowed to take and I went home. And when I read her story, click 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 mm -hmm. the very thought of thoughts being the whole condemnation of this human experience aligned for me and it was exactly what i had been shown the only time i suffer is when i believe these things called thoughts so there was absolutely again no coincidence that was the book the only book and it wasn't about near-death experiences yet it was mm -hmm. So that clicked, made sense, everything she wrote. I went, yes, inquiry became a really powerful tool because as I've told others, even though I had this amazing unfolding and unraveling, if you watch my videos over the last 10 years, you'll hear how it's deepened is the only way I can explain it. And it's not through further teachings or education, it's through unraveling all that I once believed one thought. yeah I, I, I guess there's no way really to go back from there is there it's not like you're going to go back into your e egoic shell of suffering and believing your thoughts i mean it's like once that's cracked you're you're just going to keep on just becoming lighter and lighter yeah it's like taking a tube of toothpaste and squirting it on the table you can't put that back in the tube <laughs> right so now i'm you know 
what do I do with this? What, 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 what do they want me to do with this? You got to share it, right? Yeah. I mean, do I tell people, am I insane, et cetera? So um, the gal that I was staying with in her family, my, my part, my ex-partner's sister um, actually started telling people, you know, you've got to meet my brother's girlfriend. She had a near-death experience in New Zealand and she's psychic now. She's a medium now. And all of a sudden I had all these labels I, I had never put on myself. Um, and I'm like, okay, I'll roll with it because it's happening. And so by virtue of the fact that it's happening, it's intended. And that's how I live now. I just kind of roll with everything. I call it the flow of life. It's just taking me on the journey and I'm the witness of it. So the avatar is moving. I'm now getting labels, um, taking none of them on, but finding all of them humorous. And we come home from soccer practice with my son one night and there's a few people over that are intrigued by what had happened and so I sat and you know read them what I was getting from the other side people who had died people that were trying to connect with them and they're all just sitting there with their mouths wide open like are you really seeing this and hearing this and experiencing this and I'm like yeah I see them I hear them I smell their cigarette smoke like I'm telling them all the clairs are turned on the clairvoyance the clairaudience all of it's happening <laughs> Wow. So wow. that's where Nurture Your Soul was birthed. All of a sudden, without any marketing or anything, to this day, 14 years later, I've never, never done anything other than my Facebook page and my YouTube page. Every client that's come to me has been word of mouth. Um, this has just done itself. It's been on autopilot. I've resumed what I call a normal life. My son has been raised by a spiritual mother who, um, he has a recollection of that pain body, but he was so young that he knows this body more, but he has something to compare it to and go, that wasn't my mom before. <laughs> so this is just kind of doing itself now. And I just kind of move through life, trusting things just arise. And I know that's what's intended because it's in front of me. And that's that's the moment with God. And this is when right now sitting here with you and your, your listeners, you know, this is, I'm just the microphone. Mm. I'm just the microphone. And, 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 and I guess that's what, that's what the, the no, the don't resist part is because sometimes when I, I think about that message I'm like, breathe and don't resist. And sometimes I'm like, I, I can't figure out don't resist. Okay. But at least I can breathe. Okay. I know I can do that. And then the no resisting part, it seems like sometimes my, my mind will get in the way. Like I'm like, resist what, how, how do I don't resist? What, what am I not supposed to, you know, like I'm not resisting. Thing and get in the whole kind of trip about it, but but not resisting like you you just said. It's just it's it's just whatever is presented, and it's like life is life is living itself. It's 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 already happening. It's like just do the thing in front of you, and yeah. there doesn't need to be like all this planning and figuring and and pushing some things away and grasping for the others. But it's just like no, it's just just no resistance. Well, there's people who say to me, you know, again you had this beautiful experience. So it's easy for you to say, but I've worked with clients who um, I worked with a man who was a paraplegic. He had literally no body movement in his body from the neck up. And we used to speak on the speakerphone. His family would, you know, dial me and we would chat. And he would say to me, I am in such peace. I am in such bliss. 
because I know I'm not that body. And as I just close my eyes and breathe, I'm not contained in it either. And I relate to that so much because someone could say, well, you must have had a very profound experience. So lucky you, but that man didn't have a, pro, a, a beautiful pro, you know, experience. And yet he also found that for himself in his own way. So if I could articulate a little bit on what you said to maybe help you perceive it a little differently and those who are listening to this, this is how I would tell you to do this. Let's use an example of a suffering moment, such as a bad day, bad experience at work, and you're driving home, and the mind is just muddling over everything that happened in that day. That person was a jerk. My boss was unfair, whatever it is. It's important to notice you are not those thoughts. So that's the first, what I would call, step back into awareness to breathe and go what is the thing that's thinking this if there's an awareness that there's something thinking this what is that and then you start to notice wait a minute if i'm aware of the thoughts and i'm aware that i'm aware of the thoughts what is it that's aware that's where the non-resistance sets in so the thoughts can be muddling and you can be inquiring on that. The more you inquire on that, the easier it is to rest into what we used to resist into and not cling to what we used to grasp to. Because there's more of a, if you will, for lack of better terms, seat in the self or seat in the soul, which is purviewing this experience from a different angle. Instead of thinking it is the thinker, it's noticing something is saying these thoughts don't feel good. What is that? That's more fascinating, right? So I think there's the ability to be aware of that awareness. The, I call it the crack in the sidewalk where there's a- So yeah, what is that? Is that- Yeah. It's a crack in the sidewalk. No, go, go, go ahead. So it's like, is that, is that your soul? your soul is the one that's noticing like so soul is a tough word what doesn't feel right it doesn't soul doesn't feel right to me anymore mm. even though i say nurture your soul because it again it feels like a separate thing but we have to use these symbols to speak we call them language the course in miracles says um language is nothing but um, symbols upon symbols twice removed meaning nothing but we have to use them, right? It's the only way we seem to be able to communicate in duality. To know love, I need to know its absence. To be able to articulate what's happening, I need to have dualistic language to point to things. Um, and so soul, awareness, consciousness, expansion, God, universe, um, all of those, as soon as you label it, it becomes a separate thing. So that which is no thing is what it is, a, a, an abyss, a crack in the sidewalk, um, where there's a subtle invitation 
to breathe and not resist and be aware. Consciousness will do the rest. If you can breathe into that crack in the sidewalk, that subtle pause between thoughts, that subtle pause gets wider. It expands and that expansion is where truth lives, your truth. Mm. And as soon as you name it, it's part of duality and it's a separate thing. So I say to people, find something here that doesn't have a dualistic component and bring it to me. You won't be able to, which is why I refer to myself as the story of Kelly. It's still playing out, but awareness is now just witnessing the avatar doing the things that it's doing without the concept that I am that doer or that I am those thoughts or that I am the creator of those thoughts. It's like watching the movie on the screen. I don't own any of it, but when I'm watching that movie, I certainly have moments where I feel like I'm that actress, right? Right. It's the same thing. This is a play. This is, this is all happening for us, not to us. And yet, if you are in a devastating moment like being molested as I was, I am by no means gonna say to you, relax, kiddo, you're not being molested, right? I, I don't have that um, lack of empathy. And I also don't have that lack of noticing an experience. Like I said, if you kicked my leg right now, I'm gonna say, ow, there is not a detachment but there's also an awareness that there's not that attachment. And that's the difference. It's very subtle. All of this is so simple and so subtle. We step right over that crack in the sidewalk. I love the crack in the sidewalk. And it's like the crack, that little brief space where you can uh, basically like objectively observe and you don't identify with the thoughts even for just a moment it's like the, that little crap yeah you are so if there's anything that people listening to this want to understand or take away from this it's not a learning this isn't a teaching i'm not a guru i'm not a master i'm not enlightened i am awareness aware that it's aware and there's something speaking through this vessel reminding others to remember that is also your truth. There's no thing doing this and it's accessible by all. This unraveling isn't a teaching, it's an unraveling. It's not a learning, it's an unlearning. Every concept and belief we've ever believed about ourselves is untrue. It's all part of duality, but we have to have this to be able to experience the grand experience of beingness, because if I'm all of it, how can I know any of it individually? And how you can really take that and translate that is go look at a mirror and imagine that mirror to have no edges. It just goes on forever and ever and ever. How can it know itself if it's all of it? And that's God universe, source, abyss, whatever you want to call it, the unlabeled. Now to know itself, it needs to break into a bazillion aspects or mirrors or shards of mirror. And now there's something to have contrast or duality. 
to know what it feels like to have an arm, I need to be a separate thing. Now I have an arm. And that is what we call incarnation, yet it's never our truth. This physical body is just an opportunity for awareness to have experience. So does the shards of glass, I mean, is the oneness doing that for fun or like, why would it split itself just to have these experiences to remember itself again? Is it like a big movie entertainment game or what's wrong with just being a pure unblemished mirror that's just like existing in total peace? I don't think it's a necessity to do anything. It's just a com combustible um desire to know itself in infinite ways mm. if i'm all of it how can i know the experience of any of it uniquely it's absolutely gorgeous when you think about it because we're never this we're never this that 38 years returning to the body felt like seconds when i look wow. back on it now it's seconds. There's no longevity in it. It no longer is a heaviness. It no longer is something that needs to think of itself as having suffered. It just isn't. It's so much more fun to just have that, have that remembrance, right? To have that, that kind of knowing or just to come back to that, even when it seems so real, but just to kind of zoom out and have that crack in the sidewalk. It's like, Oh man, life is so much easier and so much more enjoyable with, without all of the investment of mental, whatever, quagmire. It is, but I want to make sure your followers get this because I don't want to leave this with the mentality that I, I walk through life and it's unicorns and rainbows and smiles all the time. The avatar still experiences raw emotion. It's still mm. in this duality. So suffering still happens. There's just no longer an attachment to it. So I'll give you an example. Um, my son went off to college and empty nesting kicked in, right? He's my only child. He goes off to college. I drop him off. And the body bawled into bed and cried for days with animal sounds coming out of it. And there was no attachment to making that go away. What's different now in this experience is an acceptance that that raw emotion too needs to come out. And in duality, by, by virtue of allowing that instead of resisting it, it just flows up and out. And it's beautiful in its sadness is the only way I can mm. express it. I, I watch a bird take off and a cat catch it in its mouth. And that bird, this just happened a couple of weeks ago here where I live, um, that bird was still alive and I was seeing it uh, move in the cat's mouth and the cat's taking off and the old me would have chased it and the whole nine yards. and. I could just see beauty in the movement, all of it, knowing it was a cycle of life and the flow of life. And um, there was no concept of it being right or wrong. There was just, look how beautiful and magical that experience was. Um, yet there were tears coming from this, this person's eyes and um, 
a feeling of sadness for the bird. And all of that was happening at once. The beauty, the sadness, all of it's moving through. Um, I love referring to Rumi's guest house. Um, it's a poem I speak of often. Um, and, and Rumi speaks about the fact that we're intended to um, allow any visitor that arrives at the guest house. Um, you know, it may be um, a past grievance or a past hurt or a past memory. I'll send it to you so you can include it if you'd like. Yeah, um, I'm familiar with it, that poem for sure. But yeah, I don't I don't have it verbatim. But it's it's really speaks to what what I'm what I'm talking about here. The less we resist what's arising and the less we cling to that which we have as a preference or a desire and just allow all of it to pass through the what we used to refer to as ickiness just flows up and out so yes sadness still happens anger still happens jealousy still happens there's still um, the story of kelly is still here in duality experiencing all those emotions but what i find is as nothing's attached to it just flows through beautifully comes up and out and and the beauty of it is seen even if it's suffering does that make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. So I would imagine then if, if that full allowance of all of the aspects of life and all of the spectrum of feelings is totally allowed, like, like you're talking about, and you can just totally see the beauty in, in wailing and sadness and grief and anger and, and all of it, then I imagine that you probably don't like get depressed anymore. Because that's, I, it's sort of my experience that the depression is like, when those are sort of there's too much control and those are sort of stifled. I, I don't know. Do you still, because you still go into the depression, obviously not like you did no. before. No, I'm just aware. And now I, um, I love, um, I think it was Jeff Foster, who's a wonderful um, speaker, by the way, um, who said, um, who struggled with his own um, aspects of depression, which most of us who have had these experiences had, um, he calls it a call to deep, rest mm. and i love that i love that too it's a new way of looking at it so i don't perceive it as depressed at all there are gray days we all have them now there's just there's a call to deep rest put yourself to bed sweetheart tomorrow's <laughs> a new day whatever's arising here is gonna pass it all comes and goes in waves so not what I used to perceive, um, but there's also not a, um, a falseness to it like I used to live. There's no manipulation in trying to tell others outwardly, oh, I'm okay, and then I go home and cry. Now you get raw emotion. In fact, it's really quite hilarious because um, it annoys the heck out of my son. If I feel anger, it's coming up and out. If I feel sadness, it's coming up and out. If I feel raw, it's coming up and out. And he'll look at me and go, why is that happening? Because it needs to come up and out. I'm like a, I'm like a tea kettle now. Nothing gets contained <laughs> here. So he's gotten used to it. It doesn't mean he loves it. He'll say to me, mom, you know, why does that have to be so much? Muchness. <laughs> And I say, because it feels better that it's so much muchness. And now that he's in his fourth year of college, he gets it. He totally gets it. He's like, up and out, up and out. Um, we are like pistons. So if we don't attach 
to the goodness and we don't cling to the to the sadness all of it's just movement of energy moving yeah well he's so lucky to have a, a, an example to kind of give him the permission to be a tea kettle as well i mean we all could use that well especially men i think men have been conditioned much harder than women to believe they're men to always have that st stiff upper lip and um mm. you know i've i've really imparted on him how important it is to me that he not have that and yet in the high school years he went through it it's just conditioning is just so incredible even if you're getting a balance at home you don't once you get to school but now that he's maturing into that young adult in college and adulting beautifully by the way doing mechanical engineering program which is ridiculously hard right he'll, on he'll call me when he has those heavier days and what's beautiful is i just am a voice I'm sorry, I'm just an ear on the phone because he he talks himself right down. I don't have to say anything. He he speaks about it and lets it come up and out. And I don't have to say much at all. And I find that's how this works when I work with people in one-on-ones. It's it's really just showing them how to to unravel so that they too can go off and notice that crack in the sidewalk. There's not a teaching here, there's just direct pointing direct pointing, direct pointing over and over again, everything that you need is within you. Hmm. And so what's that like for people to work with you one-on-one, -on -one? just so if people want to um, contact you and then it's like hour long sessions and it's, it's, and you're, and you're pointing, 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 pointing. Yeah. And unraveling. I mean, it's really, it's really interesting because a lot of people come to me thinking they want to talk to their dead uncle. And of course that can happen here, but once we get on the phone and we start going in to the seed of the suffering that talking to that dead uncle is kind of cool but unraveling this painful belief feels so much more um, uh, important at the moment and so they may get on the phone expecting a full medium psychic intuitive reading and it turns into um, an unraveling of beliefs and conditioning and they go off and do their own work and if they are coming to see me more than once or twice a year i'm not doing them any service and i fire myself wow um, because i'm not here <clears throat> to be no discredit to others who fully just immerse in psychic work that's not that's not the intention of this that's fun it's creative it's crafty and all that but talking to those on the other side is just talking to that which i am which you are so i would rather give people the tools to do the unraveling because what happens is when the consciousness expands that intuitiveness is by a byproduct of what we are all intended to have. I don't have gifts. I've just removed everything that blocked what we are all intended to tune into, which is that vibration of knowingness um, of infinite wisdom, which we're all gifted with. We're just conditioned to forget it from the moment we're born, we're labeled. That little infant comes out with all pure awareness, immediately you're a boy, first label. Mm. Your name is Timmy, second label. I'm your mom, I'm your dad, third label, fourth label. It's like taking a blank canvas or that mirror and breaking it into all those aspects. And now you don't, you've, you've lost your way completely, but your way never lost you. I love it. Kelly, this, your story, I mean, 
your story is sacred. It's it's sacred, and I feel so honored, really, to be able to have this conversation with you. And I'm definitely going to put your um, your website link in the in the show notes and everything like that. And um, wow, I mean, I got I have so many more questions. I can go forever, but it's it's getting late and everything. Um, uh, and, and, and the last thing I want to say though is like it's so amazing to me. I think about this because I I go to this Course of Miracles group, and one of the things that the sort of facilitator says is, you know, look at Jesus's life. He, um, like the example of that story is so dramatic. It like it, like spirit or universe, whatever, had to have this like really dramatic story where this guy gets crucified and betrayed, and yada yada. It was such a dramatic thing, and then he he's up there and he forgives everybody, and like the power of that story just rippled through, you know, time, you know, 2000 years later, and we're still all talking and singing about him and everything. And, and I feel like that's with you. It's like, you were, you freaking committed suicide. That's like the most deplorable sin. Right. And, and all that happened was love and you just, and, and, and awakening and you just met pure love and transformed into more love and you met love. And that's like the opposite of what I think most of us would ever expect. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, as I shared my first YouTubes, what, 10, 12 years ago about my near-death experience, um, so many have written to me and said, you know, your NDE is like none I've ever heard. You committed suicide, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, have you watched this near-death experience? I just don't feel drawn to listen to others. It's not because I'm not fascinated with what happened but it's because it's all part of the collective consciousness to go listen to someone else's story is not as interesting to me as just being with a bird in the yard or watching that bee that's pollinating that flower i'm just drawn to that mm. um, but you're right i mean it's it's definitely um unique in that i that i harmed myself and i killed myself i certainly do not promote that anyone attempt to take their lives. I think that's important to talk about. And I, um, I don't think suicide is, is the way out. I think there is a way to find a balance here in harmonizing. Um, and that's why this work is so critical to, to unravel. And, and that's why I prefer to do it one-on-one or in sessions with people to help them get there if they're experiencing something heavy. Yeah, and, and suicide's not the way, but after listening to your story, I mean, it's like, why would you want to kill yourself if you know you're just going to meet love and come back into love? Like, why not just, just start loving right now, you know? Yeah. You know, you can't yeah. go anywhere and you're not your body. So, you know, just start praying and inquiring. I, I don't know. Give give Kelly, Kelly a call. <laughs> Breathe and don't resist. Breathe and don't resist. Exactly. And don't and, and and start unraveling one thought at a time by spending more time between the thoughts in that crack in the sidewalk and notice it expand. There's nobody that needs to teach us this. It's a natural thing. What we're doing is unnatural. Hmm. That's so powerful. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you for doing this, for organizing it, and um, yeah, I, I, feel free to share my contact details and, and anything that you feel is, is pertinent to help people who are hearing this. I really appreciate it. Okay. I'm going to stop the recording and then I'm going to talk to you. Yeah.
want to go.